0: Before we jump into our text and continue our countercultural series, uh, I want to tell you a little bit of field trip that our family went on Uh, this week. We went to uh, Gravely Point uh, and went uh, bike riding. Gravely Point is that park uh, where uh, Reagan National is, and so the the planes fly in right over uh, you when you're picnicking out there. It's pretty awesome. You should totally go uh, if you, well like anything fun. It was great. We packed up all the bikes in the back of our Monster van. But here's the reason I want to show you this slide. Probably more than any kind of thing in the world I love more is my kids. Just love my kids. Leo there, he's a little stud on the bottom there. And then Cameron, she's amazing. Jillian's in the back. And every Sunday, uh, you have an opportunity, uh, all of us have an opportunity, to impact and change these kids, and, and about 80 kids at the well change their lives kind of forever. Uh, Leo is in first grade, Cameron is in middle school, and there's a couple opportunities for you to kind of invest your life in in, in my kids and in all our kids uh, here as a church family here at the well. Uh that that, man, they would meet Christ, they would see their faith grow, they, they would have their whole lives transformed. Uh, so there's two ways to do that uh, that we kind of, in, in a sense, really need right now. Uh, the first is in toddlers uh, and in elementary, uh, serving just twice a month, uh, where you would serve first service or second service twice a month to care for those age kids, Leo's age and Cameron's age, uh, and see, uh, or Leo's age uh, and Jillian's age, and see their, their faith begin and grow, right? Uh, and all the other kids down there. And then the other is uh, student ministry with our middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, that's Cameron's age. Uh, we started these mini discipleship groups this week uh, for uh, the boys who are becoming men uh, in middle school and high school. And so uh, we're discipling groups of them in kind of smaller pockets. Uh, but we need some women leaders, some, some women who are gonna say, I'm gonna pour into the life of a couple middle school or high school girls and, and do that two Sundays a month, uh, every other Sunday. And we'll, we'll equip you to do that Uh, But you'll see their lives transformed uh, through you, which is a great joy. So uh, please consider um, that. You can email info at thewellsilverspring.org to get connected with how to do that. Uh, You'll see these kids' lives transformed. We'd love for you uh, to be a part of that work. And Gravely Point, go there. You should definitely go there. Let me pray for us as we get into this challenging text. Father, when we began this series, uh, Countercultural, we knew 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 was coming. God, you have uh, called us to be a people who would be a countercultural people in every aspect of our lives, to live abnormally because of who you are and what you've done in our life, that we would trust you with every piece of our lives, even our sexuality so, God, would you meet us as we look at this piece of your letter to the Thessalonica church, that it might be a letter to us that would transform the way that we think, live, particularly in this critical area, in our lives, in this critical time, in our context. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, This is the shift of the book. Uh, you notice the word finally at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says finally, and like a good preacher, uh, he's going to say finally, and then he's going to keep rambling for a long time. It's about half the book. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul has said, you know, when me and Timothy uh, came to town, uh, we, we came not to please you guys. Uh, but to please our God. And we came not just thinking about the momentary pleasures of today and this minute, uh, we came thinking about and preaching about all of, eternal, all of eternity and eternal purposes. He says, remember in, in chapters 1 to 3 as he talks about their ministry and the gospel, he says, remember how that kind of just flipped your whole life upside down as you decide to live counterculturally.' Now he's going to shift and he's going to turn and he'll say, finally, church, looking at you and me, is saying, now live this out. Live in response to the good news of Jesus. Live, live in order to please your God in these specific areas of your life. And live with all of eternity in mind in these specific areas of your life. And now he's going to get into two really kind of uh, encompassing areas, really important areas of our life. The first is Sexuality. And then the second is our work. And so uh, for work, for vocation, you just heard about this Thrive. We're offering uh, second service for the next couple weeks. Uh, That's where we're tackling primarily work. All right. Uh, But this morning we're going to tackle sexuality together. Because Paul says, uh, this life we now live is flipped upside down in every area of who we are and when we live it for our Lord. That will not be normal. This will be swimming upstream. This will be uh, going against the current, uh, driving against traffic. This will not be normal. So what we'll do this morning is we'll look at kind of the core question of all of our ethic, all of the way we live, what is right, what is wrong, what we do as Christians, and what, in a sense, makes it abnormal the core question, and then we'll look at the specific command and context that Paul gives in sexuality, and then we'll back up out of context and say, okay, what's God's big picture, what's his bullseye for sexuality, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts, the very specifics of uh, because of what's at stake, how do we live this out here in our church here today. All right, the core question, specific command, big picture of sexuality, and then some nuts and bolts specific because of what's at stake. The core question, chapter 4, verses 1 and, well, 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and how to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. What's the core question of all of our ethic, of all of our how we live, right and wrong, what we do in our life? But Paul first says, I urge you and I ask you. He's saying, man, this is going to be important, right? I I ask you, I make a request, but then even more, he says, actually, I'm urging you. I I really want you to do this. And then he's going to say, and I'm actually giving you instruction or command in the Lord. And what's it rotate around? Uh, Why do we live this certain way, the way he will command and even began commanding the Thessalonican church uh, in his previous visit? He says, I'm commanding you because you ought to walk. You ought to walk in a certain way. Your life, my life, ought to be directed by. We ought to walk in the very steps of Jesus and the way he wants us to live. All through the book of Acts, uh, we see uh, the early church is called the way. You know, They, they start kind of living according to Jesus' way, and the people around, they say, oh man, these, these aren't Jewish folks anymore. These, these aren't just Gentiles or Greeks or Romans. What are they? These are the followers of the way, they call them, all through the book of Acts. This is this kind of new group that has decided the way we walk, the direction we go, the things we do, the things we don't do, are directed by our Savior, Jesus. Uh, we want to walk according to His ways. And then Paul says, uh, we ought to please our God. He's already said this back in chapter 2. He said, we live for one goal. It's to please our God. And he says, here, you and I, we ought to please our God. That this is kind of a a, a him or me kind of thing. Am I going to live for him or am I going to live for me? Uh, In verse 2, he's going to say, this is about the will of God, your sanctification. It's it's, are you going to choose to do what you want to do or are you going to choose to do what God wants you to do? This is a will of God kind of question. In verse 8, he'll say, this isn't about like, are you going to obey men or women or what, what the culture says or what I say or what you say or he says or she says. it. This is about, are you going to do what the Lord says is true and right and leads to life? This is the kind of thing that governs all of Jesus' life. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says it this way, I live to please my Father the thing that governs every aspect of what I do and don't do what I think and don't think, it's to please my Father. And notice for us the Christian, it's it's that not just we. Uh, Paul says to them, "You guys were great. You started in my instruction. You lived it out. But now I call you to live it more and more and more." And so for the Christian, our walk and to please God, it's it's not just you know the very beginning of our relationship with Jesus, where we say, "I want to live for you," but then it's more and more and more, allowing Him to direct our lives, uh, uh, allowing. His pleasure to be the thing that orders every aspect of who I am. See, what's the core question when it comes to our ethic, whether it be our sexuality or our money or our work or any of that kind of thing? It's who is my authority? Who is my treasure? Who is the one that can say to me, walk this way? In that direction, and according to this or that style? Uh, who, who is the one who can uh, say to me, uh, I would be pleased if you would? And then I say, Because I want to live for you. I, I want to please you. I want to give my whole life to you. I trust you. I love you. And therefore, I will. Who, who has that authority, that power in my life? What has that authority, that power in my life? Is it me? Is it the preacher? Is it you yourself? Is it the church? Is it uh, the government and whoever is in power? Is it it might make right? Or is it the, the, when the masses decide what is good and right? When culture deems this or, right or wrong, is that who has final say in my life? Uh, for many of us, most of us, we decide the answer to these questions, uh, it's me, it's myself, it's I. As long as I'm not doing anything to hurt somebody else, I can decide what to do, what not to do. I can decide what's pleasing to me and not pleasing to me and do it. But for the church of Jesus, this church here in Thessalonica, and, and what Paul is calling us to is something... Well, it's an authority, it's a treasuring outside of ourselves that ought to direct every aspect of our lives. You remember uh, when the Thessalonican church, uh, they first interacted with Paul back in Acts chapter 17. Luke tells the story, and and Paul and Silas and Timothy show up, and they start preaching this gospel, this news about Jesus, and, and everything gets flipped upside down. And then there's this crowd that really wants to kind of create trouble for this new church. And what do they say? They capture it. They kind of hit the nail right on the head. They say, Acts 17 verse 7. These people, they're saying, they're living like there is another king. Not you, Caesar, but King Jesus. <laughs> they're living like there is someone who directs their walk, who, who orders their lives, who, who they live to please Him above everyone and everything else. See, the main question for all of ethics and all of Christian ethics is is who is your authority? Who is your treasure? Who will direct what you and I do? And for whose pleasure do we live? And Jesus says, I want to be the one who directs everything, I want to be the one who tells you what to do with your money. I want to be the one who tells you what to do in your workplace, where you work, how you work, who you work with. I want to be the one who has say over everything, even your bedroom. Paul urges us, he asks us, would you walk according to his ways? Would you live to please him alone? And then he gets right into a specific command in our sexuality. The specific command comes in verses 2 to 5, and he says it this way. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So first he says, uh, this is about the will of God, orienting ourselves uh, according to what God desires and His will. It's actually our sanctification. It's a big kind of hefty word, which means, you know, in our salvation, we clung to Christ, we realized. Oh man, Jesus, you paid for my sin. You paid for the fact that I do not align myself according to your will, whether it be in my sexuality or, or my pocketbook or in my workplace. I, I've not lived for you. I've lived for myself. And, and then we cling to him by grace and we realize he hung on our cross. He paid for our sins. Then he raised to newness of life to embrace us to pour grace on us, to make us sons and daughters, to, to purify us from all of our unrighteousness. Yeah, that's our salvation, but then in our sanctification, we live in response to the gospel day in and day out, where we walk according to His ways, where we live for His pleasure and eternal purposes. Why? Because we look at Him and say, if He did that for me, man, I can trust Him with every aspect of my life. If He loves me that much, I can obey Him in every aspect of my life. If when I screw up, He doesn't shun me and stiff-arm me, but embraces me by grace still, man, that's the one I want to give all authority to. Man, that's the one I want to please and live for. Why? Because He is already pleased with me in Christ. I could have stumbled horribly in these areas or other areas, and His pleasure rests on me by grace today. This is the will of God, our sanctification, to live in step with Jesus because of the work that Christ has already done, to live like Christ. And and so Paul's going to get really specific here in his command in the area of sexuality. First he says a negative, then a positive, a, a, a prohibition, then a commendation. He first says, do not, and here's what he says, abstain from sexual immorality. Do not live a, a sexually immoral life or do sexually immoral things. The, the word is pornea. It's this word for a general Uh, anything outside of a general sexual impurity anything outside of sex as god has created and designed it to be live in marriage pornea any uh twisting of that any uh living outside of god's design for marriage he says have nothing to do with that abstain from it Uh, He he does this all through the scriptures. He he lists these kind of sins that we ought to uh, abstain from or uh, sever our lives from. Uh, Let's read a couple together. Colossians chapter three, verses five to ten. Colossians chapter three, verse five to ten. Paul says it here. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he lists uh, more. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie. And he goes on, right? Uh, and then he'll do this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And he does this all over the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but, and here's what makes you not that, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Now whenever Paul does this, right? he, he lists these sins, and, and here he does it in First Thessalonians, right? The, uh, sexual impur- impurity, or uh, sexual immorality. And then he kind of lists all these other sins. Uh, the first thing we need to notice is this: all sin is equal. All sin is equal. Do you see how the lists go? There's sexual impurity, and then he kind of, often he'll name different kinds of sexual impurity, but then he'll say something like this and greed, and covetousness, and lying, and stealing. And see what we've done in the church is we have elevated sexual sin to to this oh man awful thing we shame one another in, in it and 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 in our shame we don't talk about it and where we're struggling and then we point to the world and someone say man oh they're so nasty they're so dirty they're messing all this up not like me who's pure and then we like oh man this preacher he's just no good or, or we talk about someone in our community group negatively or we slander someone or, or we're greedy or we 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 look at our neighbor's phone and we say I would really love that and covetousness and and we say, that's all just fine. But Paul says, no, look, look, that's one list. In James chapter 2, verses 8 and following, James will tell us why, that it's all one list. Because it's all sin against our Father who had said all of these ought not to be done. That in every one of these we say, thanks but no thanks. I'll live for myself. I'll direct my own path. I'll live for my own pleasure today, however I like to do it. And Paul says that's the problem, and it's all one same root problem. So all sin is equal. Then the next thing we learn from this list, because often they're followed by the wrath of God is poured out on these things, is all sin is terribly serious. Uh, maybe you've heard it said uh you know you're talking to a non-believer and they're like i could never be a christian they're like well and then they say something like you christians believe that if i sleep with my girlfriend i'm going to hell or if i if i practice homosexually i'm going to hell I, I don't want any part of that and here's how i'll often respond it's actually worse than that actually i believe if you steal your neighbor's pencil you're going to hell And I believe that the lies I've told in my life, the exaggerations, the way I've coveted this or that, and the sexual sin in my own life says, I too am destined for the wrath of God apart from the grace of Christ. See, sexual sin is serious because all sin is serious. And it hurts us, it destroys us, it harms us, but it is also an affront to our holy God whom we trust, who is our Father And either His wrath will be poured out on us because of our sin, or His wrath has been poured out on Christ, and we've been given the holiness, the blamelessness of Jesus as we've embraced Him for His grace. And then we just struggle as we walk out obedience to Him day in and day out in our sanctification, trying to walk like His Son and clinging to His grace over and over again. The first thing Paul says is, Abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, another place, it's really a great command. in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says something similar. He, he kind of gives a summary command when it comes to sexuality and, and sexual sin and temptation. Here's what he says: Flee, Run, Just get away. He says when you're tempted uh, to look at this thing on your phone, when you're tempted to open up the computer, when you're tempted to embrace this or that person who's not your husband or your wife, what you need to do is not stay strong and say, I'm going to withhold this. No, he just says, run. Just get out of it. Just run away. It's too tempting. Just get away from it. It gets too deep. It's too harmful, he says, after this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 5. He says, it gets too deep. It's too destructive in your low life and the lives of others. Just Run abstain. Job chapter 31 verse 1 says in a similar way Job is talking he's like I've just made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. He's like I just can't go anywhere near right like I'm gonna shut off the Instagram I'm gonna get rid of Facebook I'm gonna do whatever it takes not to look lustfully at a man or a woman. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 to 30 says You know, it's not just adultery that's the problem. It's in our heart. It's in our minds. It's who we are. He says, when you even look lustfully at a man or look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. He says, don't manage that kind of sin. Instead, gouge your eye out. Cut your hand off, he says. Get serious about it. Abstain. Get it out of your life, he says. And then Paul moves into a positive command. Don't just abstain, just to push this away, but uh, each of you ought to know how to control his own body. Control our own bodies. He'll talk similarly uh, to this idea of controlling uh, your vessel is what he, he names our bodies here. He says control your vessel in the same kind of way he'll say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. He says, you know, now our, our bodies are kind of like a house and we want to keep just pure things in them. And even in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right, verses 18 and 20, uh, Paul will say, uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit where God himself dwells. So we have to control our bodies in holiness and honor. Now, uh, This is not um, an alien idea to us. This idea of limiting our uh, freedoms, uh, limiting ourselves for greater, deeper joys and greater, deeper purpose. Uh, Maybe you do CrossFit. I know some of you do. And I'll say it this way. You do it religiously, right? Right? If you're a CrossFitter, there's only one way to do it. It's religiously, and what you do, you wake up at 4:30 in the morning. You you have ordered your life. You've controlled your hours. You you then put limits on your diet. You're only gonna drink raw eggs and eat lots of protein, right? Uh, uh, You're not doing that anymore like Rocky Balboa did. But uh, uh, you've decided it is worth it because I want to be ripped. I want to be healthy. I want to live a better life. You've limited your freedoms, uh, limited what you eat, limited what you do with your time so that you can have a greater and deeper joy and purpose. I got to hang out with a professional musician at a wedding recently. And he, he said, I've got to play in these amazing shows. He listed the shows. I knew the name of every Broadway show he had played in, first chair. And he said, I, I, I asked him, well, how often do you practice? He's like, I basically don't stop practicing. I limit what my, I do with my time. I limit what I do with my hours. And I, just, I devote myself to these things that, that I might enjoy greater joys and deeper purpose in my life. And what's that greater joy, deeper purpose here, Paul talks about it, that we would live in holiness and honor, pleasing to our God, walking in his ways. We would live in contrast, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says this will be a contrast, maybe even the most stark contrast in our context today, to those who have decided, I will please myself, I will live for myself, in a sense, I don't know God. I see the context of the Thessalonican church was much like our context today. Listen to one, how one historian talks about it. The cities of Greece and Asia Minor and Egypt, he writes, have become centers of the wildest corruption. And innumerable slaves from these countries have spread their immorality and are part of their immorality as well. And indeed, there's probably never been a period when vice was more extravagant or uncontrolled than it was under the Caesars. There's never been a time when vice was more extravagant or less controlled than under the Caesars. Cicero, who spent some time in Thessalonica during the mid 1st century BC argues in favor of freedom, sexual freedom for youths and he says this. Let not pleasures always be forbidden. Let desire and pleasure triumph sometimes even over reason. But only if these pleasures do not do damage to oneself or others. Sound familiar? A number of centuries earlier, Demosthenes expressed a social opinion regarding male sexuality that continued to prevail in this time, and listen to what he says. For this is what living with a woman as one's wife means, to have children by her and to induce the sons to the members of the clan and to the deem and to betroth daughters to husbands and of one's own, and yet mistresses... We will keep for the sake of pleasure and concubines for daily care of our persons, but wives to bear as legitimate children to be faithful guardians of our household. (laughs) Paul says, if you live with a sexuality that is of holiness and honor to one another and to your God, it will look very different than the culture around you. That's why uh, other commands and other places of the scriptures echo this same kind of thing where it says Hebrews 13 verse 4, the right of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 verse 4, keep the marriage bed pure. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 2. First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 2. Paul says, I know you are falling in love with one another, men and women, and you're uh, enjoying these relationships, and, and you're kind of at the brink where you, I mean, you're, he says, your loins are burning. You want to have sex, and he says, get married that you don't sin, right? Like he says, uh, bring this into the marriage covenant relationship. What's well, the fall, right? It's getting colder out. Leaves are falling. Which means, uh, you know, I saw my first Red Cups from Starbucks, right? Like, the fall is here. Maybe you've had your pumpkin spice latte already. But for me, the fall is all about fires. I love fire pits. I love sitting around in the the life and the relationship that happens there. So I I built just this past year a big old kind of brick fire pit out in the side of our yard. And and we sit around it. And then I thought, man, it'd be really cool if we could sit up on the the deck and have a fire as well. So I bought a solo fire pit. And it's the kind you can burn on a deck. And it's pretty awesome. So we put it up there with a couch around it and burn fire pits up on the deck. And, And then when I came in here, it's a little chilly, right? So, what if I took some logs of wood and I just made an old log cabin right here, put some kindling in the middle, and lit the fire up to make us warm, and and then the whole house burns down? Because a fire is wonderful when it's in its place, but so destructive when it leaves the confines of where God has ordained it to be had. Well, sometimes uh, we don't know the context in which a command comes, and, and other times we'll often twist the context. Uh, that the command was given uh, in the New Testament, uh, that we might uh, uh, ignore the commands that are given there. So I thought it would be helpful for us if we step back and looked at the big picture of sexuality in the Scriptures. And we're going to fly through this, uh, so hang on, I'm going to reference a lot of verses, but I want us to have the big picture of how God created sex and why He created it this way in the Scriptures. So uh, first we'll go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And here we see God creates male and female. In His image, He created them, right? Uh, binary, male and female. They they didn't have a choice in the matter. They were different in physicality. They, they looked and saw it right away, and, and they realized, man, you're male, I'm female, we're different we may be different but what are they both image bearers of the one true God equal in value showing off the the glory of our God but but very different and and then in chapter 2 verses 18 in Genesis here's what we see happen Uh, Adam is brought before God and 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 God says right to him it is not good for man to be alone and he says, "I'm going to make for you a, a helper suitable." That word "helper" is used of God Himself, who brings our salvation and help. So I'll make for a, a helper suitable for you. And then he kind of parades all the animals in front of Adam. This is before Eve has been created, and 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 he, Adam's like, "No, not that." And he, you know, no, none of these kind of go with me. And then we see Adam is put to sleep, and and Eve is taken in a sense out of. Adam's rib, and, and the Lord makes woman, Ish and Isha uh, out of the same flesh. And, and then uh, Adam says, man, she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And joy, he realizes, man, she's different than me. But, but we're made for one another. And the Lord says, that's why everyone uh, who then enters this uh, relationship of marriage is going to leave their primary relationships. They're going to leave their father and mother and, and cleave to one another. And then and, and, and what? Be made one that the two different will come together and be made one, very much imaging God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, different in persons in one God. So God creates male and female and then creates marriage. And, and then we see the story from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see God is, is a husband to his people. He, he makes his people uh, his own uh, in, in Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12 and following, right, he says, I want you to be my people, but then we, his people, live the life of a harlot. And we don't do what God wants with our money. We don't do what God wants with our work. We don't do what God wants with our sexuality. And, and we run from him. And the language all through the Old Testament is, you, you lived as a harlot. And, and then in the New Testament, what we see is, is Jesus shows up on the scene as the bridegroom. He says, I'm going to pay for my people's sins, my, my bride's sins. That she, the church, could be embraced by you, God the Father. And that's just what Jesus does. He hangs on the cross and he pays for our rebellion. And he pays for our sin. That then in Revelation we see the bridegroom coming for his bride and we embrace. Then in Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament we get this little nugget where he says, this is what marriage is all about. <laughs> When a husband says, I'm going to live like Christ lived for the church and I'm going to give my whole life away, every day I'm going to wake up and say, how do I die that my wife and kids would flourish? And then the wife says, I'm going to submit and respect my husband with every gift, every strength I've got that, that I might uh, see him flourish and the kids flourish. And so the husband keeps saying, I'm going to die that you would flourish. And, and the wife keeps saying, I'm going to use all my gifts and come under you that you would flourish. And then Paul says, man, that's not just marriage in its most uh, joy-giving, purpose-fulfilling uh, thing. But, but what it does, it is actually pictures how Jesus lives with the church. It's wonderful. And that's what we are made for in our sexuality. I want to take us now to just some really nuts and bolts pieces of the puzzle here. Some super specifics. We're going to skip that there. Because of what's at stake. Paul goes on here after he's given us a negative command and a positive command, a prohibition, and commendation. He says, abstain from sexual immorality, but instead control your bodies. Unlike the Gentiles who do not know God, verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. The first thing he says, man, why? what is at stake? It's the harm of our brothers and sisters. That there is no sexual sin without the harm of our brothers and sisters. Whether it be the pornography and how that harms our relationships with one another, or how that harms and, and, and objectifies those we are looking at, or... or or whether it be any sort of relationship outside of the covenant relationship of marriage. It harms our brothers and sisters. Then it says, the Lord's anger burns over this. We see this. Uh, If you've been abused, man, you know the Lord's anger burns over this. It's a disobedience to the Lord Himself, not men or women or us or that. It's, a, it's a disregarding Him and, and His gift, even of the Holy Spirit, to transform our lives that we might walk like this. So, here are some specifics because of what's at stake. We got to strengthen our marriages. We got to strengthen our marriages. It's a slow and slippery slope to adultery. Now, over the past month, I just had conversation after conversation of folks struggling in this area and it wasn't kind of one big decision it was kind of incremental small slow decisions and and most of those incremental small slow decisions were based around this that that in our marriage we are living not as husband and wife but as roommates we're not fostering uh life and joy And the depth of intimate relationship with one another in the way we ought to. And and so I would just say, hey, for any of us in that bucket, there's this amazing uh, weekend. It's called The Weekend to Remember by Family Life. Uh, It's happening here in Cambridge, uh, November 19th to 21st. It's super cheap. You go to a nice hotel, it's a blast. Uh, Courtney and I have done it twice because we need serious help. (laughs) It is a great weekend. The second is this. We need to deal deal with your pornography. Deal with it. Don't manage your sin any longer. Uh, 60% of men and 30% of women struggle uh, repetitiously with pornography. Don't manage it any longer. Get after it for real. That means confessing that to someone. That means believing that Jesus has actually paid for your sin, that, that you are pure and blameless because of the grace of the gospel that you can share where you're struggling in your sexual sin because it's not the pinnacle of all sins, but it's actually been paid for by Christ. And just like greed or covetousness or stealing or slandering, man, you're pure and blameless in Christ. You can share about it and get real about it. If you don't have anyone to share with, you can just email me, matt at Wellsilverspring.org, In any one of these areas, or info at Wellsilverspring.org. either one's confidential, and we'll connect with you. The next... Nuts and bolts, specific areas, stop crossing boundaries in your relationships. Stop crossing boundaries. Now, there's so many reasons to to rationalize why it's okay you did this or that. Or why it's okay you move in together. We're saving money. Stop crossing boundaries. And last is, man, we need to shepherd our kids. What a confusing time our kids are growing up in. What a confusing time our kids are growing up in. And it is creating shrapnel in their lives and in families. Some people who are helpful in this for you as a a parent, Rosaria Butterfield, Jackie Hill Perry, Sam Alberry are great resources uh, for yourself uh, as as you get to kind of figure out how to talk about these things. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin wrote this great book. I've referenced a bunch during this series. "Is 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. Ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin has a great story she shares in her sexuality chapter in there. It's, it's deeply impactful. It's super helpful. Uh, a couple other great resources as we shepherd our kids is The Talk. Um, who wrote this? His last name is Gilkerson. Uh, it's it's well-titled uh, The Talk, right, about uh, talking with your kids about sex, and then the other is Passport to Purity. Uh, it's a simple kind of take your son or daughter away for a weekend, have a great trip together, or even an overnight, and then talk about sex. It's, it's a little awkward, but it's super fun and super helpful. We've done that with three of our kids at this point. It's quite a, a helpful piece. And others in the church have used this tool and found it very helpful. And I'll close with this. man, let's live this out. Let's live a different sexuality out together. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not for us to legislate. We, we don't need to shame people about their sexuality or ostracize others. This is, this is an area for us to live out our sexuality under Christ and step with Him and, and in pleasure to Him, not ourselves. And let's live with a different kind of love. Uh, folks, in a countercultural uh, situation like we're in today, let's live in an embracing love where, where, where we can believe differently in these areas and embrace all in these areas. In Matthew chapter 26, what we see, man, Jesus, he lives his life just full of healthy relationships. He's single from start to end. Paul, another giant of the faith, single from start to end. And, and he, because he has decided to, in his pleasure, live for his father, has uh, remained sexually pure from day one. And, and in this, he's sitting around the table with his followers in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And they're eating. And he takes bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sing this hymn, and then Jesus basically goes to be crucified. And to pay for our sins, to pay for the areas we've stumbled in this area. See, this morning, I want communion. The remembrance of what Jesus has done to be a comfort to us and to compel us. Guys, we have all stumbled, and some of us stumbled just greatly in this area of sexuality. Would Jesus' love for you this morning, with what he's done for you, with the payment he made for you, would that be a comfort to you this morning? That the sins of your past are in your past and forgiven and done and cleansed. You can confess them if you haven't yet confessed them and, and move past the guilt and, and work on the relationships and work in your own life and, and, and cling to the grace of Christ knowing you are received as a son and a daughter this morning. You are the, the bride of Jesus who is your bridegroom. And But it, would it also compel us? Would it compel us to live in holiness and obedience and trust Him even with this area of our life as well? He is trustworthy. Will we be a people who live to please him? Will we be a people who let him direct every aspect of who we are? Let's take and eat and be comforted by his love for you what he's done to cleanse you and make you pure and holy and be compelled by the work of Jesus and his life in you to live for him. Let's take and eat together.